Well, last time we covered uh, down to verse 11 about uh, giving diligence and adding to your faith virtue. And then the virtues were, some of them, not all of them were listed there, verses 6 through through 8, so that we won't be unfruitful in the Christian life. And if we do, if we don't uh, give diligence, then we, um, we have failing vision. And some of us have experienced what that is like, failing vision. <laughs> um, it happens slowly until you don't realize that, wow, I can't see as well as I used to. And if you, for those of us that wear glasses, I think uh, some people wear contacts and I wouldn't even know it. because. But if you have gone to get a new pair of glasses, you kind of get used to fuzzy reading and all that. And then you, you put them on and you go, wow, that's the way things are supposed to look. Really sharp and I've experienced that a couple of times because I make my glasses last a long time. Ten years. It's got to last ten years. I had a laugh at the uh, op- optometrist when uh, their face, when the, she asked me how long it had been since I had a checkup. I said, oh, I think my children were just born, I think, and, you know, that type of thing. And it was like years and years and years. Most people say two years. It's like two years the glasses are just getting warm. Like I'm not thinking of exchanging them anytime soon. But all that to say is over time, your vision gets worse. And it's like that in the Christian life if you don't continually add to your faith virtue. And then you develop what's called, I think, in uh, the optometrist world is myopathy, where you can't see afar off. You... And it would happen slowly over time, and then you would realize when you went for a checkup that, wow, my vision has gotten worse. And it can be like that for us if we're not diligent. And then we start to, for the Christian, their vision, your vision will fade, and all you can see is this life. Because you need divine vision to see afar off into the world to come and that's what we want to make sharper and sharper and the good thing about uh, spiritual vision is you don't need uh, you don't need money you need time (laughs) you need to invest time and that's where and your vision unlike in this world you know you go your glasses get stronger the prescription but in, um, in God's kingdom, you add time and energy, and your vision actually can get better, unlike in this world where our vision gets worse. We're looking to see into the world to come. And then we can have victory over the circumstances, the challenges that face us, in this life because things are not always as we would like them to be and uh, we constantly need to sharpen our vision so Peter has finished off in verse 11 for so an entrance shall be ministered ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's where we're all headed, and we want to have sharp vision so we could see, see that world to come. John Bunyan said, I'll never forget it, he said, if you have trouble suffering in this life, it's because you cannot see the world to come. It isn't to say we rejoice in 
suffering in and of itself, but there is uh, the grace to overcome these things and not to be overcome by them. And that's speaking from a place of relative blessing and um, no suffering. In at least in my case, uh, and as I look around, I would say most of us, uh, we've got our troubles here and there, but we're not suffering uh, to the degree which some saints have down through the ages. But it's the answer for all of us. I'm convinced that this is where we uh, need to come. Whether we're in a place that is blessed or whether we're in a place that's challenging, things aren't working out as we would have hoped. But one thing's for sure, with the world to come and with the kingdom of Christ, everything is better than you've hoped for. It's never going to diminish. It's not, you're never going to get there and think, just wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> you're just, it's just not happening. It's going to be, yeah, if we can use the vernacular, blow your mind so good that it's just, Paul says, I can't even speak of it. It's that good. So we can look forward to that. Because the, the way this world goes, it's you just get old and circumstances may get worse, usually do, and you die. And there is no more depressing a, a circumstance as someone that has no hope and they're in that state. It's just, <clears throat> yeah, it's just, uh, I don't think there's anything worse. Someone living to be an old person they're losing their mind, they're all kinds of things, and they just, that's it, this is it. There's nothing, things just degenerate, and uh, it's so good to see uh, Grandma there, and she's so much to be thankful for. She's looking to heaven and and preaching Christ even though she doesn't know it. What an end. It's just, I just, mm, so good. I just... uh, do you know where you're going when you die? Yeah. I don't think there could be a better end for someone. Preaching Christ till their last breath. <clears throat> so since that's where we're all headed, Peter says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put, all, put you always in remembrance of these things. But I, I've read the Bible lots of times. I don't know if you've ever thought, I, I kind of, I already know this stuff. It's, something can settle into our hearts where, yeah, yeah, I, I already know this. But if you are in a circumstance which was dire, <clears throat> these have to become up in bold relief. You know them, and nothing is going to take it out of your mind. And that's where we need to be. And Peter said, Though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So although that's the case, we have to continually remind ourselves. Because life has a way of eroding those things from our minds and hearts. Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. These are some of the things that we need to be continually reminded of. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, 
reserved in heaven for you. People pine away for their earthly inheritance, and it's just not as good as people would have hoped for. It doesn't make them happy. uh, It's temporary. Um, They can see it diminish. They spend it, and it's gone. But our heavenly inheritance isn't like that. It just looms larger and larger and gets bigger and bigger and more and more blessing. And it's incorruptible. When it's consumed, it doesn't corrupt the soul. But earthly inheritance can not, it doesn't have to, but it can corrupt people's souls. They can plunge themselves into ruin and cause all kinds of family strife, people fighting over money and all these kind of things. But our heavenly inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And some of us are. And it's just for a season. But it's going to be the rest of my life. That's just a season. It's just a season. I can remember being 20 years old. Now look at me. I am not 20 years old anymore. I can remember being strong. Now I'm not. Not as strong as I used to be. (laughs) But in the spiritual realm, you can be stronger. And it's just for a season. This life, as good as it is, is just for a short time. And we need to keep that in perspective. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What God is really interested in our lives is not making it pleasant here, but having your faith strong and your eyesight sharp to see the world to come. And that's where we, where we need to be. <clears throat> Turn back to, uh, to First Peter. <clears throat> so even though we can become familiar with uh, the truth, we can become familiar with parts of the Bible, and if we're not careful... Uh, the awe of them starts to diminish in our hearts. And we're just not as wowed as when we first uh, read them. I can remember reading through the Bible for the first time. I didn't grow up with the Bible in church. Uh, The Bible was read, certain passages, but it was very limited, and I had never read the Bible for myself. And when I did, I was just... I was reading the NIV, and I loved it. (laughs) I loved it. I can remember being around a campfire, and all my friends were singing this terrible song that I used to sing. And I thought, i got to get out of here. And I went back to my vehicle, and I opened up the Bible, and I was reading, and I went sequentially through the Bible. Someone said, skip to the good parts. I said, the good parts? I'm going to miss something. And I was in the book of Isaiah, and I can remember, I couldn't tell you what it was, but I was thrilled in my heart. And it was like that through the rest of the Bible. I just thrilled. And we ought to, if we find our hearts not so thrilled, we need to press in more to realize that these things are reality. And the world is passing away. All of these things which people hang on to so strongly. So Peter was um, knowing that he's going to be putting off 
and this was top of, top of mind for him, to have you always in remembrance of these things. Verse 13, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And then down in verse 15, he says, to have these things always in remembrance. It's very important because your memory can fade. And especially when difficulty comes. Or over time, our memories can fade. Uh, Some of us have better memories than others, but um, over time... We forget things. We, and we continually need to be um, stirring ourselves up. <clears throat> the memory is the operation of the mind that is involved in recalling a thing or a fact. <clears throat> and you can recall something to your mind and then mull it over. And that's what we need to do uh, continually. Turn to uh, Luke's Gospel in verse 22. Verse 17. This is something we, that our Lord has instituted for us simply to, if I could say, jog our memories. <clears throat> it says, and he took the cup in verse 17 and gave thanks and said this and divided it among the, yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. And we do that as often as we do to remember the Lord, to jog our memories about what he did for us. And if the living Christ thought it meet to put us continually in remembrance of what he did so many years ago, then how much more should we be stirring up ourselves to remember those things. Read, uh, let's read uh, Psalm 77. Psalm 77. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. So here's the psalmist. He's, he's in distress. And what does he do? Verse 3, I remembered God and was troubled and I complained. And my spirit was overwhelmed, Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Have you been there? Just overwhelmed with trouble. But, verse 5, I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart. And my spirit made diligent search. So he's in a place of trouble. He is 
He's so troubled he can't speak. Can't pray. But then he starts to remember. And then he remembers how God acted in the past, in the lives of the children of Israel. In verse 6, or verse 7, pardon me, he starts to think. He makes diligent search, so he reads the scripture. He calls it to mind if he isn't there with an actual copy of the law, but he can call it to mind. Will the Lord cast off forever? The answer is no. (laughs) So he remembers that, and the answer is no. He asks a bunch of questions, and the answer is no. Will he be favorable no more? Yes, he will be favorable. Is his mercy clean, gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be... Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And the answer to every one of those is no. So he remembers it, how God acted in the past, even though presently he was experiencing such a trial that he couldn't speak. And he considers the word of God. He considers the history of how God has worked, and he encourages his heart. He remembers And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. So even though he's still presently in the trial, he says, I'm going to remember God, what he's done in the past. And I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also of thy work and talk of thy doings. So he remembers how God acted in the past and that he will act in his life. But while he was in that present circumstance, that was his lifesaver, as it were. um, He's not going to be cast down by it. He's going to be lifted up. And then he remembers... Presently, says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? He, he beholds God's um, tabernacle, how he set up the priesthood and a way to approach him and all of that, and he is saying there's no God as great as our God. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, and were afraid. The depths also were troubled. He, re- he recalls the people coming out of Egypt. So he's still remembering. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven, and the lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters. Thy footsteps are not known. Thou us thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So all recalling, and apparently his situation had not changed. But his mind had changed, and even though his situation had not. This is the same for us. It's hard when you're in a good circumstance to see the world to come. That's what it's like for us. Those that are in a good circumstance, we tend to think, this is good. I'd like to hang around for a while. (laughs) But we know that um, it isn't. It's temporary. And those of us in a bad circumstance can look forward to what God has for us in the future, which is sure. Let's read uh, 1 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 6.
This is a continual thing for the people of God. First Timothy four six. He's just talked about people that bring forth doctrines of devils, and they're listed there. <clears throat> Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to receive with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Then in verse 6, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up on the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So again, putting the people of God in remembrance. 2 Timothy 2.14. Of these things, what are those things? That's in verse 8 through 12. uh, About the Lord Jesus himself, that he was raised from the dead, and that Paul was suffering terribly for that profession. And then he says... Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Refuse fanciful stories, things that are not uh, in the scripture. Turn off Facebook and all of those things which yeah, just flood your mind. The news, uh, my consumption, thanks to Dave Peters, the older of the news, has greatly reduced. I'm feeling much better for it because most of the time I get a stomachache when I hear it. I just, my wife reads me the odd snippet and I just, you know. And uh, it's better if I don't uh, eat that stuff at all. They just get indigestion and just, yeah, can't handle it. But uh, the truth of God is always good uh, for the soul, even though it may be bitter sometimes. Uh, The end of it's always sweet. And that's the way it was demonstrated uh, in the scriptures. And we continually need to remind ourselves of the promises of God, which Peter was reminding them uh, at the time. We'll just remind ourselves of a few of them, probably the best, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, when we make a promise, we may or may not fulfill it because of our infirmity, because of unfaithfulness, um, and because we just don't have what it takes to make it happen. But, uh, yeah, most of the time we can fulfill a promise. But God isn't like that. He has no infirmities and he has no uh, shortages of power. <clears throat> so we'll read there in verse 70. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began. So since the beginning, he has made promises that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant us and we be delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness, that's us, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Speaking of 
All that God has prepared for his people, all of his promises have come to pass. And we, uh, they're available for us to experience. There's much more we could talk about the promises of God, but we'll just continue on. You'll, you can review them for yourself. So we need to exercise our minds in remembering the promise of God, his working in our lives and the lives of others. can remember when God has answered prayer and he will answer prayer again, even though he bear long with us. So even though we know these things, we need to continually remind ourselves until they are etched in our minds and they cannot be effaced by circumstances. <clears throat> so Peter, in verse 14, he says, Knowing that I must, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. He had a advantage, I guess you could say. He knew when he was going to die. I don't know if he revealed, okay, you've got this many days, but he said, your time here is short. And so he endeavored to put the saints in remembrance. He says, moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And the way you do that is by repetition. I I don't know of any other way to learn than I've never, ever been the guy that uh, reads, got that, steel trap. I would just painfully slow and read and reread. I used to, when I'd study for a test, um, the only good recollection I have of anything academic is in Bible college in high school. It was horrible. Um, But I had to study and study and study and study over and over. I used to write out all, as I was studying, I'd write it all out. Like, I don't know if anyone, does anyone have to do that here? Or are you the type that just... Is Barbara? No? Yeah. I have to, oh, just pound it in. It's just not getting in there any other way. And if you're like me, that just that's what you got to do. And I could, I'm a visual person. I, I don't learn by hearing. I just, I got I to gotta read it. Especially when I'm speaking a language. Someone would say some German word and I'd hear it and I'd say, write it down for me. Then I can understand it. But otherwise, just not happening with me. I hope you're not like me. But I have to. So whatever you got to do to put it into your memory, that's what you have to do. And you have to spend more time than others. Um, too bad. That's just what you got to do. Spend more time to get it into your minds. However it works for you. So we know that... Uh, We have a short time here, and we need to uh, be stirred up. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul... um, in the midst of discussing uh, marriage, he comes out with this. <clears throat> He's discussing about virgins marrying, and um, in verse 28, but. And if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. That was probably because of the present distress, the persecution of the church. It's much easier to be single than to watch loved ones and children suffer. But if you're married, you're married. 
and enjoy it. And, uh, but in the context of all that, he says, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And I believe that's in regard to, oh, I'm going to not um, be responsible, or it's got nothing to do with that, because there's other passages that speak of doing that. But in your heart, you know that this is only temporary. And I think that's what he is referring to, because that's really his point in all this three verses. <clears throat> And they that weep as though they wept not. So if you're weeping, you have bad circumstances, you know it's just temporary. And temporary may be the rest of your life, but it is temporary. When you consider that eternity is forever, 30, 40, 50 years is a short time. I know that's hard for us as um, in the flesh, but in the spirit, we need to enter into that. And they that rejoice, as though they rejoice not. So things are good, but you need to keep in mind, things will get better. <laughs> if you're, this is temporary. Things may not always be like this. And they that buy, as though they possessed it not. You your, whatever you have, it's just temporary in this life. <clears throat> and they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. And in the context of marriage, it's just temporary. The fashion of this world passes away. So whatever it is, you balance that out with what's coming, eternity and the world to come. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, back a few chapters. <clears throat> no, it's got to be... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because yeah, that is not it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So Peter has just said that he is putting off uh, this tabernacle. You temporarily dwell in this body of flesh, but something better is coming. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, that's this tabernacle, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. So, in a sense, he's saying, just not content with this life, with this body, with this circumstance. I'm looking to heaven. That's where he's, he is coming from. Verse 3, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. So being naked is not being clothed with your heavenly dwelling, a new body. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, do groan, being burdened. Not for what we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So we know that this life is going to pass away. This body is going to get old. If you don't think so, look at me, and it will die. Um, it's just the way it is. <clears throat> but now that he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, who hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. I was so good to hear that a spirit isn't, uh, is the deposit of what's coming, the more of the same thing. And you've had a taste of heaven, and it can only get better and bigger and fuller. Verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, 
not by sight. We are confident, and I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether we are present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body according to as he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So Paul labored to be pleasing to God because he knew this was temporary, and where we're all headed is the judgment seat of Christ. And verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That ought to put fear in our hearts that we uh, are always going to be pleasing unto God. Not the fear of damnation, but a fear like any child has a fear of their parents when they've done something wrong. And it's the same for us. We ought to always look forward. To the world to come. And Peter is urging us uh, to do that. Verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's putting them in remembrance of this event that he experienced and he's setting us up to have confidence in the word of God in the written word of God and in the the living word of God Christ Jesus himself and where he's going we know that chapter 2 And part of chapter 3 is devoted to false teachers, those that would corrupt the word of God. So he's laying the foundation for the saints that they would have confidence in the word of God, its source and its trustworthiness. I don't know if you have read. If you haven't, don't bother, but... Many religions um, were started by just fanciful stories. I was uh, traveling on an airplane, I think, from uh, Bangkok to Chiang Mai in Thailand. And I sat beside a man. who He was a white man. He was uh, a professed Buddhist. And without provocation, he said to me, that, of course, I was trying to talk to him about Jesus and everything else, and he said, the, um, the Mormon religion is the most screwball religion on the face of the earth. And I said, I don't disagree. <laughs> because if you know anything about the beginnings of Mormonism, it is fanciful stories. Just unbelievable. Like, it makes the Jehovah's Witnesses look orthodox by comparison. Um, Yeah, just unbelievable stories. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that you read it, because I I did have to read some of it, and they're even more fanciful than I could have imagined. And sad to say, though, if we chuckle, we should always be sad in our hearts because there are millions of people that have believed these lies as well. Because there is power behind these things. Uh, it's spiritual power of the, of the wicked one, but nonetheless. Um, that's why Peter says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And he speaks of, in the pastoral epistles, of people giving heed to fables, because they do. If they didn't, there would be no need to mention them, but they do. They give heed to all kinds of fables, things that aren't true, um, and really weird things. So, we, uh, 
ought to be so thankful for the truth. He says, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So it was Peter, James, and John. We can turn to that. I believe it's in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. By the way, it was Joseph Smith who had this so-called vision. And he probably did have a vision, but he was by himself. There wasn't three witnesses. But notice here, uh, any matter is confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that's why there was Peter, James, and John um, on the mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up unto a mountain, a high mountain apart. So there was just them. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto the Lord, unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. So they got a glimpse. They didn't taste death till they saw the Son of Man glorified. This is what it's going to be like. His face shining like the sun. And he wasn't like that in his, when before he was glorified. People looked at him and to them... He was just another man. But here, he's not just another man. His face is shining like the sun. And he is uh, so spectacular that people would fall down. Even John in Revelation, he has a vision of the risen Christ. And it says, again, his face shining like the sun. He's um, so spellbinding that he just would fall down in his presence. And so Peter, James, and John, they had this um, experience. It wasn't just a vision. It was it happened. They weren't sleeping. It wasn't like they were in a trance or anything like that. Like Peter was up on that rooftop and he fell into a trance. And he, is, in a sense, saw a vision in another realm in his mind. Still a divine vision, but this was reality. It it happened. There was a cloud. God spoke from heaven. And the Lord says, tell no man until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And he had at this point. And so there was two or three, there was three witnesses there. And he received from God. That vision. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So they had this confirmation of the son of man coming in his kingdom. This is what's coming. This is what is in verse 11. We're going to see him and we're going to be in glorified bodies ourselves that we can be in the presence of God and not fall down in terror, but we can fall down in worship. Now, John, the Lord laid his hand on John and said, be not afraid. He won't have to do that to any of us in heaven. We won't have that uh, reaction 
and these were holy men of God. In verse 19, we have a more, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. I've struggled over this, but how could there be anything more sure than what Peter, James, and John experienced? And it was sure, but something that is more sure than private or um, experiential testimony is what Peter had there, James and John. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And it's the written word of God. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And the dark place is the human heart, and that darkness is dispelled through the word of God first in the coming of the gospel, bringing light and life. And then that light just continues to get brighter. And it does so by us taking heed to the word of God. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, or the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter reveals something there that wasn't expressly, or wasn't so stated in the Old Testament, that men, prophets, were moved by the Holy Ghost. They knew that, uh, David knew that the Spirit came upon him to be the king of Israel, but... um, We see here that the the Holy Spirit was speaking, moving people to write down uh, exactly what he wanted them to write down. But the mystery is that at the same time, he did not efface their personality. He didn't uh, move them by automatic writing or anything of that nature. They still had complete control of their faculties, and yet... They were writing down everything that God wanted them to write down. Turn to uh, Psalm 95. We'll turn to Hebrews chapter 3 first, and then over to Psalm 95. Hebrews chapter 3. In verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. Down to verse 11. So... I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. And then turn over to Psalm 95. Down in verse 7, at the end of verse 7. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long I was grieved with this generation and said, This is a people that do err in their heart. They have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. 
Now, it's not stated there who's speaking, but in Hebrews, Paul says it's the Holy Spirit that was speaking. And even you know, the... the uh, I don't like to use the word Trinity, pardon me, but because um, it isn't a biblical word, it's Godhead. And we can determine from different parts of the scripture that the Godhead is divine. The, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And here the author of scripture, the Father can speak and this, the Holy Ghost is giving utterance to the prophet. That's the way it it worked, and here the psalmist was writing, and it says in Hebrews, in verse seven, "Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you'll hear His voice," and that is like that throughout the entire Old Testament and the New Testament, as we shall see. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter 2. So the scripture isn't of private interpretation, meaning that the prophet didn't see something and then think, hmm, well, I'm making sense of it, and he writes it down, what he thinks. It isn't that way at all. It was the spirit moving in that man and writing down what God wanted him to. And... Many such books are people's spiritual experiences and they write it down, but it isn't that way with the scripture. God communicates in such a way as that he, whatever the prophet wrote down is the words that he wanted them to communicate. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse uh, 3, how that by revelation... He made known to me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise by Christ, by the gospel. So the Holy Spirit moved on the apostles, um, and particularly on those that wrote down, because there were few men. I mean, there were 12 apostles, and I don't know how many. I think David and I, there was a small portion of that, less than half, were actually given the charge of writing down those things. But the things that they did write down were sure. Because the prophecy came in old time, not by the will of man, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And he's setting up for chapter 2. Because that's how holy men were moved. And now he's going to tell you in chapter 2 how false prophets are moved. And that's, we'll get into that uh, next time. It would be, I wish there wasn't any need for that, but unfortunately, there is. Um, We need to know the pathology of false teachers. They all kind of have the same path, and Peter maps it out there in uh, chapter 2 because he says that there will for sure be false teachers among you. There was false teachers when the prophets were moving in the Old Testament and there will be false prophets in the New Testament. In every age. In the age of the apostles, they were particularly active. Why? Because the word of God was coming forth in a very short period of time so the devil would Um, When Paul was alive, and then shortly after, and then forever, um, false prophets have been active, seeking to corrupt 
the word of God and the people of God to uh, confuse them. And it's always been that way, and we should um, be aware of that because it, it can happen in every age. And now, even more so with the coming of the Internet, it's only been around for... 1992, how long is that? 30 years. 30 years. And false teaching is more accessible today than it was then. (laughs) Travel like the wind. You could have some false teacher in Japan, and that information could be over here in minutes. And uh, we need to be aware of those things that we can rebuff them.